You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as InforumSF. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's virtual programming with Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Megan Rose Dickey, senior reporter at TechCrunch. Tonight, I'm chatting with Arlen Hamilton, founder and managing partner of venture capital firm Backstage Capital. Arlen, want to say want to say what's up to all your fans? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I have. Oh, well, my mom is here, so I hi, nice. fan. Hi, hi Arlen's mom. mom. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Backstage Capital primarily invest in people of color and other underrepresented people in tech. And as was mentioned earlier, for those of you in the audience, if you'd like to ask Arlen a question, please ask it either in the chat on YouTube or the comments on Facebook. So over the next hour, Arlen and I are going to be discussing her journey into tech, diversity and inclusion, and of course, her new book, It's About Damn Time, which she has in her background. You have a very good background, by the way. I (laughs) got to work on mine. But um, yeah, but but first, I actually do want to talk about some some of the recent events of of police brutality in in this past week and um, as well as the role that tech can play in in upholding white supremacy that maybe some people haven't thought about or, or realized before. So what is what has the last week been like for you, Arlen? Uh, for me, well, it, it's it's been a lot of things. Right now, as we speak, I have helicopters whizzing by and sort of distracting me from thought. Police helicopters uh, because of protests right downstairs, which I'm very happy to support and, and proud of that are happening. Um, it's been a lot. I think I don't think I've ever been reached out to by more people at once including my wedding and uh, the book, you know, coming out, which were two big days where a lot of, it's just been a lot of inbound and a lot of um, mostly positive and mostly good, but it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to kind of have this position, I guess, or this, this point of point of uh, view right now, just because so many people are looking to me to, to speak on certain things or to for an opinion about something, which I'm happy to give as you probably understand, you know, probably know, but I just, what I, the first thing that came to mind when you said that was just like an inundation of, of thoughts from other people of noise, physically, physical noise, just because of all the protests and of emotion. And I still consider myself one of the luckiest people in this um, because of the augmented privilege that I have uh, procured for myself, I am I am not forced to be in any situation that I don't want to be in at this moment, and I, I it's it's painfully aware. I'm painfully aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned that there's a lot of like a lot of inbound, and I've definitely seen um, like you you commenting on some things via Twitter. But I'm curious, like, what are what are people in the tech community kind of coming to you with? Are they like are they asking for advice, or what are they? Well, it's it's all sorts of people in the tech community. So it's white people um, and all others. Um, for it's investors, it's founders, it's a lot of journalists it's a lot of a lot of stuff there 
the white investors and founders, mostly women, well, I, 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 let's just say the white investors and founders, when they're coming to me, most of it is, if they're coming to me privately, most of it is, did I get this copyright? You know, correct. Did I, am I being insensitive by saying this? Am I doing this? And I kind of, I answer some of them depending on our relationship. And then some of them, I tell them, you, you didn't get this message right. <laughs> I'm not the one that needs to dictate what you say. You need to do more homework and, you know, and all of that that we're used to as black women. Um, it's a lot of that. And then it's a lot of people who are just heartbroken, same, same white people, you know, other white people who are just heartbroken, paralyzed, don't know what to do in this situation and are, they don't want to offend and they just really want to be helpful and it's crushing them. This is crushing them in a way that I find very sincere. A lot of founders uh, reaching out just to say what next and a lot of investors, yes, reaching out. I would say 80% of them are reaching out to get some sort of online cosign so they, they don't have to do anything else. And I don't, I don't, I don't do, I I have a, a nonprofit and I do a lot of uh, philanthropic work, but I don't, I don't do it for them. I mean, this is, I'm at work right now. I don't have time for that. Um, and then 20% or so is, it kind of, they kind of, I kind of know what I'm about to get based on their first sentence. And the 20% that I find to be the most uh, sincere and, and, and helpful is I'm not going to get this right. I want to do something. How do, how about we start with my pocketbook? Like, how about we start there? Tell me where to put the money and then tell me, you know, what's next. Can we, tell me, can we talk? It's the people who think that I owe them something, owe, owe them my time or owe them some sort of masterclass and, and not being, um, insensitive or foolish right now those are the ones that are are getting the you know not getting the responses most likely so there's also a lot of inundation so don't you know if you have reached out to me earnestly and I haven't reached back out it could also be that I just haven't gotten to it because I've gotten thousands of messages yeah it's it's interesting I mean it, it sounds like this this might be your experience um because even even with me and I'm sure I get like <laughs> not even a quarter of as many messages as, as you do. But um, yeah, I just noticed a lot more people reaching out in general. And it's just yeah. gotten me thinking, like, I mean, Black people have been killed by the police for, like, for years, for for centuries. And what is it about this this time that is really, that is really making people want to reach out and maybe want to get more active like it's I don't know what it is but it just it just feels a little different I, I I've I've thought about it I kind of know I kind of have a, a theory um it's because most of us are stuck at either stuck at home or stuck somewhere for a long period of time there is no delineation between Hey, I'm going to take the day off because I need to. I'm, I'm black and I'm feeling tra trauma, and I need to have a mental health day. Or I'm going to be. I over the weekend I I protested, and I'm coming back and letting you know at at your place where 90 percent of the people here are white. It is 
it's like the world and the country has a front row seat to what black people have to witness, take in and feel all the time. And it was before they were seeing some of it, but they weren't, they were seeing it kind of protected by us. We were kind of blocking them from, we're shielding them from some of it. Now they're seeing it and they're like, he killed him. They, he killed him. Look what happened. And they're like, and we're like, yeah, that's what we've been saying. And they're like, uh, well, also this is, this is hurting me. I don't like this feeling. And we're like, yeah, that's what we've been saying. And I think they're able to experience it in a different way. It's now it's, it's, it's like a VR headset that the, that the country is forced to be in because of COVID. And there it's just in their face. And at the same time, because we're here and we're not going back to work, right? I mean, we're at work, but we're not going into some place. Okay. I told you this might happen. Yeah. I will be right back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take your time. Yeah. So yeah. For those of you in the audience. um, Yeah. There's um, Arlen told us ahead of this, that there's just an, an active protest around where, where she's living. So she's just making sure that she's safe and doesn't need to, to go so yeah please uh just uh stay tuned and uh man okay okay so what's happening okay? is i know you i was able to hear you okay cool everything's okay um what that was i just saw a bunch of smoke and i'm on the 18th floor so that's what scared me um but what that is is that there's so many police helicopters some of the protesters have been setting off like um you know uh fireworks and to, to make the helicopters kind of get get out the way or whatever. Yeah. And they did it really, really. Cl- they haven't done it this close before. That was too close for comfort. That's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a very. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't be more in it, right? Like you could. Right. The, the sentence and, and conversation we're having couldn't be more real. But that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. You know, let me know if you have to go. Oh yeah, you'll know, man. I tell you what, let me tell you. This is, has nothing to do with that, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you something. I was on the rooftop of a of a co working spot in L.A. a couple of years ago, having an interview with an with another woman of color. She was Latinx, Latina, and we were. I had just met her because we were interviewing for her to perhaps work for us. And we were just talking on the outside of this rooftop. And all of a sudden, she wasn't, she was facing me and I was facing her and I was facing out. And all of a sudden, I just saw this ridiculous swarm of bees like that I've never seen in my life. And all I said to her was, we got to go. She didn't see anything. She didn't ask questions. And we bolted and everybody else outside was white. Okay. And I said, bees, you got to get up, go. And they're like, what? What's going on? What is she talking about? And they were taking their time. We had already barricaded ourselves on the other side of the door by this point. And then they saw it and they ran. And I said, and I said to her, I was like, we didn't, we don't know each other. And we knew. She said, girl, all you had to do was say it. (laughs) She said, I was going to ask questions later. We can ask questions later. All I said was, we got to go. And we, <laughs> so that's all this is. If something goes down and I hope nothing does, but if it does, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, for sure. 
I love y'all, but I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Just have a little like to be continued. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be okay though. Don't, don't worry. This is just, this is uh it's been peaceful most of the day. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, still, still just, just on this topic of like all, all the, the, the civic unrest and like the police violence. And I mean, how have you generally felt about the, the tech community's response? Just in the last few days? Yeah. And yeah, in the last few days, like in terms of either like speaking out or other VCs saying. Like- so it's just it's just a little hard because you say the tech community and that can mean so many things. I mean, when to me, VCs are not necessarily part of the tech community. When I think about it like this, like it's just a separate thing to me. The founders out there, I think, are for the most part doing a good job. Uh, the ones that are and then you have the allies and, and and black folks and how do you do that but um I, I i really appreciate it i saw peloton and box like aaron levy um his name is aaron levy aaron, aaron levy like he's always been <laughs> he has tripped me out for years and he's one of our investors full transparency but he's just he just says what he feels and he does not care about upsetting anyone and and that could be kind of precious He's also, along with his uh, partner, Joel Emerson, they're donating $500,000. They've bought hundreds of my books even before this happened, um, just because they wanted to get the word out to more and more people. Uh, I think there are some people who are doing a great job at this, even though there is no perfect way of doing it. And I think that there is a, a there's a disgusting silence from some people that just it just it just tells me everything I need to know, everything I need to know. And it's funny because a lot of the people who are being silent in an uncomfortable way were so vocal about Bloomberg specifically being like a like a good candidate. So I've, I've noticed that trend. It's not everyone. You know, it's not everyone. I've had some people uh, like Roy Bahat has gotten in touch with me um, and, and said, who is a Bloomberg fan and has said you know whatever you need you got and he's been vocal uh and 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 my friend amy griffin has done the same but everybody else who was just like always talking about how great he was they're also the silent ones right now and i just thought well you know i made the right choice i was my instincts are right about that yeah and and i guess to, to to get more specific like when i guess when i when i said the tech community really i meant i i had a couple of things in mind like so i had like VCs specifically, and as well as like Facebook and Twitter. And so, okay. so maybe first we can start with like other VCs, like what have you seen from them? Because I feel like I've heard some stuff around VCs saying like, okay, like I'm going to spend like all of June just meeting with black and brown founders. And then like yeah. that VC's like calendar just got booked immediately. Yeah, well, good, good. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, good. I, I, I saw Jason Limkin did that. You know, I I know Jason, I have nothing against him and I'll tell him, you know, to his face, like, I'm not going to throw a parade for that. I'm not going to hand him a cookie. You know, he good. He's good. It's better than it's better than nothing. And it's absolutely better than ignoring us. And you put your money where your mouth is. You 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 treat us with respect. I love that. That's fantastic. But I'm not going to sit around and, and start applauding that when that should be the status quo. 
we we've been saying that for forever. So yeah, you see that, and that's that's like table stakes to me. Like I would expect nothing less than that, and anything less than that worries me. And you do have a lot of people stepping up. Uh, Brad Feld and Seth Levine got in touch with me um, very quickly. Um, and, and and let me just also say this: I want to make sure that I'm not some sort of godfather. You know, so it's not like you need to have talked to me for me to think that you are okay with the black community in tech. <laughs> I want you, you know, backstages doors are open to investors who want to be introduced to founders, whether we've invested in them or not, to want, who want to be in, uh, introduced to in other investors of color and black investors, whether we are associated with them or not, whether we get the carry or not. Because well, that's what I'm doing. That's why we're doing this. So it's it's I can only go by my experience and what I've heard and what people are willing to tell me. Uh, but there there are great there are a great deal of people who are doing what I think is is right. And then there are some who are just painfully silent or just uh, awkward. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> well, I can relate to being awkward, but yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's why they wrote Awkward Black Girl for both of us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so y- you mentioned that there are so- there are some investors doing doing good in these times. And I guess like what does what what does that look like right now? Like what would you say is like the best thing an investor could could really do right now? Um, an investor who is not black. Yeah. Yeah. An investor okay. who is not black. Yeah. I would say. This is I, I chose my words very carefully in the TechCrunch article that I was just quoted in today because I wanted to be sure that people understood. I was not saying we're going through a national crisis, therefore you need to like write checks to us to make us feel better and to make yourselves feel better. I said you need to invest in black founders, not every black founder. And you need to keep your thesis and you need to keep your whatever your standards have been. But that has always been some sort of barrier. Like we, you know, we will not lower our standards to let women in, as John Doerr said. We will not do this, that and the other. You don't have to lower your standards. In fact, some of these black founders are going to be lowering their standards to have a conversation with you. Okay, so the best thing that an investor can do is do their job. Your job, you're, especially if you're investing other people's money. If you are a venture capitalist, and yes, you may have 1%, 2% in, but you're investing other people's money, maybe if you have 50% in other people's money, it's your job to look at these founders. You've been able to hide in the shadows and not do your job because the boss hasn't been walking around because your boss is in a different part. It's not set up that way. But right now, everybody's watching and there's no tears for you if you if you can't find the pipeline. Like. You could say, like, say it. Sure, we'll help you reach out. I mean, how how many times do we have to say it and how many ways do we have to say it for you to understand we're here? It's not like we don't exist. Could you have imagined that we don't exist? Is that what has been happening? So, you know, when someone like Sequoia that has billions and billions of dollars under management. And I'm sure they've invested in a black founder. They uh, they would have to, have, I would think, with these odds. And maybe even invested, they probably invested in a founder that I've invested in. So I'm speaking for myself here when I say they're, they're sort of like, we will do better 
and we we will strive to blah, 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 blah. When I have reached out to them multiple times and offered my services uh, in multiple ways and handed them the the dossier, the dossiers of multiple investors that are black or who are black, all of that. I know you were trying to get me to a positive place of what can we do, but I mean, man, I'm just, I'm fed up. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm fed up. I was fed up when I started, but I had this uh, idea that the more work that I did, the more light that I put on founders, the better it would get. And the numbers are staying the same. And it's taken like a national tragedy to get people to tweet something. Oh, I'll talk to black founders now. That's not Jason. That's like a bunch of other people. I'll talk to you now. Send me your best. No, you go find them. <laughs> Don't have me send you your best. Go find them. You're grown. Oh, I'm going st- to calm down. <laughs> they got me crunk. You know, the adrenaline's going because, you know. Well, I, I do want to want to bring up your, your tweet from the other day that was like directed towards Silicon Valley investors. Like um, you, you said, haven't Silicon Valley investors figured out that I have all the receipts and don't care about decorum? You can't jump out of the taxi at the end of an inclusion marathon and act like you've been running in it the whole time. I see you, bruvs. Am I pronouncing bruvs correctly? Yeah, it's British. It's British. Bruv. Cool. Bruv, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a term of endearment for me. I was trying to get them at the end. And then I had a gift. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining you at 11 uh, skip, skipping out on a marathon that you told me about before. You said you skipped on a marathon. Yeah, I, yeah. I told Arlen ahead of this that, uh, yeah, when I was like 11 years old, there's like beta breakers in San Francisco and like. I, I couldn't run the whole way. So like my aunt and I, we got into a cab and then like got driven toward the end of the finish line and like snuck back in through the trees, like in Golden Gate Park. And we're like, yeah, you we- know what that is? That's <laughs> augmented privilege. That's augmented privilege you got for yourself that day. I applauded. I'll give you ice cream cone for that. <laughs> yeah. But, but okay. So, but back to the, back to the tweet though, and, and what you were talking about, um, so that you, you mentioned that that was actually geared toward Sequoia. It was inspired by the Sequoia tweet that I saw from them. It was not only about them, but it was like it was kind of like I had I had replied to Sequoia. I sort of, you know, commented with retweet to Sequoia where they, they said I can't remember the exact tweet, but they said something on the long, lines of a very innocent tweet tweet uh, of like, you know, we we have to do our best to make sure that there's inclusivity in our portfolio or something to that effect. And I'm just looking at that like, wow, you you literally just did the bare minimum, didn't you? Like you you just did the bare minimum. And I don't care that there may be one or two scouts who are black. I don't care. It's just not enough when you have billions and billions under management. And then you're going to go out like it would have been fine if you if you hadn't have tried to get your brownie points, your cookies, with your parade by tweeting about that or responding to someone. So I just said, you know, stop playing. And, and if that's the case, respond to me. Respond to me. How often, how many years have I been talking to Sequoia? I also said that Alfred Lynn from Sequoia has seemed to be the only person who cares from Sequoia and my man I made it very I use my words wisely and I or at least um purposefully 
And I said, the only man, because I yes, there are some junior people who, who are women who have reached out over the years, of course. But it, it has to be at the top. Those are the people, these partners, the way this business model is, the partners are the ones who make the decisions. The partners, the people who have the GPs and the LPs make the real decisions, but their LPs are, are health companies and, and things like that. So it has to come down to the GPs for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I just saw an audience cue come in just since you mentioned limited partners. Um, yeah. A question from the audience. How can I invest as an LP in backstage capital? Um, assuming you aren't seeking other investors who else is operating with a similar focus on underrepresented founders. So, so two questions. One is how can I invest as an LP in backstage capital? We are uh, the, the last two of our funds have been listed as general solicitation funds, which is rare for funds. It's the reason why I can, it's the reason I can answer this question in this forum. And it's the reason that I can talk about it in press. You can reach out to me at Arlen, A-R-L-A-N, at BackstageCapital.com. In the subject, say LP inquiry or however you want to put it, and and make sure that I see it. And I'd be happy to take a look. Um, it's as simple as that. You can go to BackstageCapital.com and take a look at our portfolio and, and use the contact form there. Um, you can reach out to Christy with IE as the end of her name. Same thing. First name at Backstage Capital. What was the second question? And I appreciate your your question, whoever asked that. What was the second question? Um, and then it was, well, this was assuming you aren't seeking other investors who else is operating with a similar focus on underrepresented founders. Assuming that I, that it's okay that that's, is that what you're saying? Assuming that it's okay Assuming that you aren't seeking other investors, like other LPs, I, I guess. I don't think that's what they're saying. But the the answer is you can reach out to me. Okay. And I'd be happy to take a look at what you have in mind. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then I, I wanted to, to circle back. Um, yeah. I mean, you were mentioning that people are, or other other VCs are, are talking about wanting to now, like in light of these events, invest more in, in black and brown founders. Um, but I also feel like this is something, it all just feels familiar, I, I suppose. And I, and I guess I wonder like how, how we can actually make sure that people actually take real action and like lasting action as opposed to just um, kind of saying like, oh, well, like in this moment when like I'm stuck at home and don't really have anything else going on, like, I'm going to like tweet about like talking to more black founders and I'm going to like maybe take a meeting, but then like six months from now, it's like, okay, well like, where's the check? And, and I guess that's maybe enough for myself to follow up with all these people. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's, you know, as a journalist, you have a really great position too, because you can ask those questions. You can hold them accountable. Um, I, something feels different about this. I know it does feels a lot, it feels a lot like the same and that's why I'm fed up, but it also feels a little different and it feels different because what I talked about earlier that the whole thing feels different. The whole thing feels different. It's almost like we're we're this close to burning it all down and starting over. And we don't want to get there. We don't want to get there. So I think people are like, okay, we really should listen. Um, when it comes to accountability, a lot of founders uh, 
are finding their way on their own. And they, I just had an entire class of, earlier today. I have a, a a course that I have. So I have like live talks, talks about it. And all we talked about was bootstrapping um, in, in the way of a, of a, like a MailChimp or something, MailChimp, $600 million a year, no venture capital um, and, and many other examples of that. Venture capital is, is is it's gonna be it's gonna be disrupted in a way no matter what and this sort of heyday for them where they have that hundred million to two billion dollar fund and just eat off of the management fee and do whatever they want and have meetings at strip clubs and 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 pretend this and this and that pay somebody thirty thousand a year to make their optics look good whatever um those days are going to be over and it's going to be people who are really doing like walking the walk um, who are going to, who are going to survive that. And, and I think, yeah, I just feel like your LPs are watching because they now have to be held accountable. I've already got started getting those before COVID and before this, I already started getting that where that, that turn has started where the LPs, the people who are representing LPs are reaching out and saying, okay, I guess we need to start looking your way, like looking at funds like yours. Uh, what do we do? And I'm like, okay, well, this is, you know, you are five years too late, let's see, five years too late, but let's go. And so it, 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 there's no way that LPs aren't paying attention, right? Some of, most of them are paying attention right now. So I think journalists can do a really great job of holding feet to the fire. I think LPs who are investing in other funds, like if you're investing in, um, a hundred million dollar fund or a $250 million fund, you have so much power. Don't let anybody tell you you don't have power with your 500 K commitment. Don't let anybody tell you you don't have, because if you get together with other LPs and you say, look, I want to do this. I think you do have a great track record, but I don't see this diversity. I did. And I, I ha- it doesn't make sense to me. Can you have a mandate? One second. Okay, can you have a mandate that says I want my money put a certain place, you know, a percentage? And it, it really doesn't have to be all at once either. It just needs to be market change. It needs to be noticeable. If if 0.2%, I'm going to I'm going to say this in case some people don't know it, 0.2% of venture capital goes to black women. 2019 130 billion dollars deployed, not raised, but I believe deployed. Of that, 260 million or so went to every black, like t- total, all black women in venture. And that was the same amount of money that Bird, the East Scooter, received in their last round of funding. Do you want to add insult to injury again? <laughs> you want to keep this up? Or do you want to see Don Dixon go out and get another million dollars from the crowd, bypass you altogether, have whatever exit she's going to have? That's going to add up. I know it doesn't sound like much right now. And you're like, oh, oh that's just like a, a, you know, a fly right here. So it's going to add up. It's going to add up. You're listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. 
I, I would imagine that a lot of people on um, to kind of tuned in right now are, are pretty familiar with with your story of, of how you got into Silicon Valley. But in the event that they're not, um, I'm sorry, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Megan, what would you like me to talk about? <laughs> yes, it was the San Francisco airport. Yes, <laughs> it really was food stamps. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, well, I think for me, like, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, why, why tech? Like, you were in the music industry before, but what really attracted you to tech? And like, what made you want to be part of an industry that you already knew was like, was pretty problematic and that had major diversity and inclusion issues? Well, it it actually started from a place of like, it wasn't, I wasn't coming in to tech itself to disrupt anything, except for the kind of mark the dating market because originally i used to have a, a website called your daily lesbian moment and if for five or so years i had fifty thousand people who would come and read it every month and in that time i match made for like dozens and dozens and dozens of couples and hundreds of friendships and all of that through comments and through uh eventually a, a series of like matchmaking like specific matchmaking and we called it Juliet and Juliet. And originally, when I was on the road in music, I just said, oh, the Silicon Valley thing, like, what's Ashton Kutcher always talking about? Okay, let me look at that. What's Ellen always talking about? Okay, let me look at that. Um, it was originally, oh, I want to start Juliet and Juliet as a, as a tech company that has one real genuine match made per day. So it's not about the quantity. It's about a very like this video very beautiful kind of um content and it's one match made every day so i can say i had 360 weddings or something like the 65 weddings right and it was in the research for that because i have to research things for me i'm almost i probably could have been a journalist maybe i don't know if you re, you know if you see it in me but i like to research and delve into things and what ask questions and why 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 and it was in the research for that where I said, okay, I better know about fundraising because I'm about to go and ask people to, to, to put money into this on top of the work that I'm going to do. That's when I came across Catherine Finney's uh, um, uh, Diane Project. And I came across two or three articles, you know, way, way down at the bottom that said we have a diversity problem. And that's when I started looking at like, oh, over here, over there. Um, okay. So, you know, my first, um, band that I worked with was a five piece or four piece, five, five people on the road with me, Norwegian pop punk band that I'd spent months with at a time. My wife is white. I have no, um, just, you know, problem with white people at, at the surface. <laughs> That's not what that was. It was like, these statistics are out of control. Are you kidding me? What can I do? Because I could, I felt I could hack my way into raising for myself. I knew I could because I had done so much that was so wacky and off, off the side. I knew I could, but I said, w to what end? Okay, I get there. I get my million dollars or whatever. I have this company. It's working. Uh, do I get to raise again? Are people going to just, I mean, now I'm going to be talking to people at later stage or they're not going to be looking at me. And then on, on, on top of that, more importantly, where's the competition going to be? I'm not going to see 
the people that I roll with. I'm not going to see women. I'm, I'm not going to see people of color here, queer people here, because they're not getting any kind of look, second look. I said like that. I don't want to. I don't. It was almost like I was being. In, I was like going to go sign up for um, a sports team that I didn't. I wasn't excited to win win the match. It was like because I couldn't see myself reflected at all, uh, getting getting too far. So anyway, the whole point of that is that I felt like that needed to be figured out before going in on my own. And Wall Street or in our public markets were going to be too late to make any difference, in my opinion. Um, and I and I didn't have any money of my own, and so I said. Let me take this around and see if anybody gets this. Yeah. Okay. So I actually didn't know that about um, about the idea for Juliet and Juliet, and um, I um, I take it that's in that's in your book, which I have not had a chance to finish. I I don't even think that I put it in my that bar, part in my book um, because we just I mean there's a lot to cover. I don't know if I did, but someone can probably tell me if I did. I don't think I did. I don't think I mentioned it. I think I went from. I was like enamored by people. I was thinking about, you know, Justin Bieber's over here investing in stamps or whatever it's called. And he's making all this. He's doing that. I was just like, this is cool. Ashton Kutcher has Airbnb stickers on his on his uh, laptop while he's on uh, Two and a Half Men. What's going on? What is this? And I considered Ashton to be someone really intelligent because I had seen him on Jeopardy and I had seen his interviews and I just thought, well, Ellen, I, I trust her kind of judgment uh, when it comes to business because she's rich. Let me just follow the breadcrumb. Let me just see what's going on. And that's when it was like, oh, OK, OK, tech, tech, tech. OK, cool. And then it was it how I how I described it. Yeah, nice. And and so and maybe, yeah, this this part of your story is maybe a little bit more well known. But I mean, you so you built backstage while you were experiencing homelessness and how were you able to, to to manage that? Um, so I've had housing insecurity my whole life, and I think that's what people, a lot of people, don't capture in the headlines, <clears throat> is that um, it wasn't like I decided, okay, I'm going to do this, and so I, I I made myself, you know, lean or whatever, or that I had just experienced it up until that point after some sort of issue. It's just always that way. It just was that I had um kind of exhausted all of my favors from people and we had tried I had tried and tried and tried and then it was like um we just I just reached a, a point where I just didn't I didn't have any other um options good options and I don't know how to describe it I just um to me it was just never a question it was like never a question it wasn't like well you're you're homeless, so you better wait to start that venture capital fund. <laughs> it was just never a question. It was like, I want to start the venture capital fund, so I'm going to do that. Um, and also, I'm homeless. There were two separate things. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a defining part about you. No. I mean, it was a terrible part. It was not. It's not something I enjoy or or have any sort of reverence towards like you know those days or whatever go back to the lean days I don't none of that it wasn't and there's stuff that I I haven't talked about publicly ever that happened during that time and it's just um it's just not a it's not a good memory 
But I also, I've just always felt like everything has to be temporary, right? Everything is temporary. This, this, this pain is temporary. This hurt, this is all temporary. And sa- same goes for like when people lift me up and people, uh, you know, just throw a lot of love my way when it comes to like, you're saying like I'm everywhere, I have fans, whatever. That to me is temporary too. It's fleeting. And so that's just how I feel. It's part of my philosophy in life. And so I wasn't like, you know, holding uh, flowers and picking them and saying, one day I won't be homeless. You know, it wasn't like that, but it was always like, oh man, this sucks. This sucks. I am hungry. I don't want to be out here. I hate sleeping on the floor. I hate I hate sleeping on, you know, this and putting this money together and doing that. I hated it. But I always said, it's not going to always be like this. I'm going to find a way. There's just no question. There's just no question. Yeah. And I mean, and in, in your book, it's about, it's about damn time. I mean, it's, it's about, you know, turning like, feel like this, this idea of like being underestimated, but like turning it into one of your, your biggest assets. And, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. And I mean, I guess what has, what has the reception been like so far for your, Oh, the reception has been amazing. It's been amazing. Um, I could, I always hoped for this and always dreamed of it, but it really started happening. Like every day since it came out May 5th, every single day, I have a, a, a immeasurable amount of messages about it from people who are compelled to reach out. And they all, all of them are, this is, this has changed the way I think about what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> Or this has really opened my eyes or this has made me feel really um, proud of myself. Today, I'll give you two examples of messages I got. One was from a black woman. She I did it. She did it publicly on Twitter and said that the book at this time especially helped remind her that as a black woman, she's valuable. Uh, another was from a white man who is uh, in the mid. Midwest, I guess is the way you would say it. And he is uh, gay. And he said he listened to the book and he had to pull, he was running, you know, running this morning and had to pull over and cry and just kind of let it all out because, and it wasn't that it was sad. It was because the last section of my book tells the big picture vision that I have for what, what happens next. And of course I wrote that a year ago, but, um, it meant something to him so that the, the, that has been uh, all of that has just been overwhelmingly amazing. And the, anything that is um, more kind of clinical or career, you know, or, or like fund based has been from white men and it has been, thank you for kind of shining that light. Uh, I don't think he would mind me saying it. Brad Feld told me yesterday who I have, I Brad Feld's books, were what I used to get into venture. Okay. He became an investor of ours personally. And I hadn't talked to him in a long time uh, on the phone, but we had kind of done some business together. And he just, for the first time in like eight years of knowing him, he said, I, I read your book and I have to tell you it was spectacular. And he kind of told me different parts that he liked. And it was just like, he, he was, he wrote the book on venture. And he said, you know, from all types of things, not just the anecdotes, but the the uh, the venture part of it, focus of it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, because you everything you learned about venture, like you you taught your, to yourself, right, just by by reading books and and talking to as many people as you could. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I mean, that's that's how I just did a like a I call it like my four year homeschool for adventure. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and and you mentioned earlier, just like like the the last so the last chapter of your book um, is kind of like this like your your big picture vision and and what is that or or is it a spoiler for people? <laughs> no, who haven't read no, the no. Book? I want as many people to know about it. Well, I just I talk about a few things in that section, but it's based on two sec. It's based on two things. One is like this big picture of where we're all gonna go. Um, and I hope that that just means that uh, sooner than later that there is this wealth distribution that's more fair and just and that our, our, um, the, the people are represented in a way that, that they just should be. That just should be, you know, that level playing field. And then I believe that we'll get there. And I be- this is how I believe we will. And that... I hope that like for my legacy, like everybody has a legacy that they're going to leave. So I hope for mine, it is that um, I was helpful in sparking that all over the country and all over the world, the, like an idea into someone's mind to, to go towards that. I want to, I can't wait to be in my sixties, seventies and eighties and have people and like read about people who say there's this there's this woman this time I read her book and I can't remember her name but I, I I really she got me she got me really excited about starting my own company and so I was able to take that and and leave generational wealth for my family um that that to me is huge and, and the second part of it is is that is the individual like um the what I hope and wish for each individual right now and i am just i'm i don't know where it comes from um because i'm not a very touchy-feely person i'm not a very like overly emotional person generally i just have like a physical um like i how do i say this without it sounding weird like i love people so much (laughs) like i love humanity and love people so like damn much and anybody's success from like the people's success feels like my success. And I hope that my success feels like theirs because it is. And so I, I talk about both of those kind of lanes that, at the end of the book. Yeah. And um, a quick reminder. So we're approaching the, the audience Q and a okay. uh, section and just wanted to remind everyone that you can ask questions in the chat or the comment section on, on Facebook or or YouTube. Um, and yeah, and just b- b- before we get into that, um, yeah, just, just to be clear, I mean, so your book, is it more so geared toward, I guess, like, who's your target audience? Is it other, just anyone in general who feels like they've been underestimated or is it like other, or is it founders in tech or aspiring well, entrepreneurs? I've had people from from all walks of life and all backgrounds and all, all profiles and, and multiple countries read it and tell me they got something out of it. And I've had these conversations now for weeks and months as people have had advance of it. And it truly, I mean, every author is going to say anybody can read it because they want you to. Right. But it's just true. Like I've had it for, I can't tell you any group that I can think of right now that has not reached out to me, maybe Amish. I don't think I, I may not have heard from Amish, uh, but I have heard from, um, you know, Mormon and, and like multiple times and all sorts of groups 
gay, gay straight, uh, all everything in between or around and through. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, happy Pride Month to you. So I think it's for anyone who feels underestimated, uh, has ever felt underestimated. But if you feel it right now, I think it's a really good time. It's a good, it's good for allies to read, to know what I'm, I'm thinking and to know what a lot of us may be thinking and what, what, what we're doing this for. Uh, and it's uh, my, but you asked my target audience, my target audience is um, who I envision reading this is a woman or woman identifying who um, it, it actually it, it does it kind of goes across uh, race and they um, maybe they are in a business like they're in it right now or they have an idea for one they want to start one or they want to invest in other people and it doesn't really matter what their socioeconomic situation is. Um, it, it, they, they just want to feel like they, they, they have that permission from themselves, sort of, if that makes sense. It kind of kickstarts them. And I've had a lot of men, a lot of men who uh, have read it, who have said like, you know, I read it just because I, you know, I like what you say and I've read, I didn't know if I was going to like it or not, but I read it or I listened to it. A lot of guys listen to it. More guys listen to the audio than they read it for some reason. And I, and I, it's like, it's like a soft, I try to have like a soft voice. So it wasn't like, it was all like, yeah, get out there. But I think, I think maybe that's why, because it's like, I'm not telling everybody like, you know, seven, seven day work weeks, you've got to get out there, whatever. So um, it's for people who are trying to start something try to be something all right audience q a time um okay so this one comes from nicole how are vcs adapting funding funding to and supporting women of color businesses considering they have been largely left out of ppp loans during coronavirus mm -hmm. yeah i did a a, a, a co-wrote an op-ed about ppp recently uh so that's true um before the last four days, same old, weren't doing much. The ones who were doing are the uh, the mainly the ones that were led by women or led led by people of color. Uh, but before, not much. Some of them are, you know. I, I really I, I applaud uh, first round capital. I think they do a great job in their angel um, program. I, especially, I love that. And they kind of walk the walk uh, publicly and, and privately. They don't necessarily need all of the accolades. Mark Cuban, who's a, now a business partner of mine, um, he saw that I was having trouble raising. So he reached out last year and just handed me a million dollars and said, go invest in 10 people and you can make the decision and just, you know, and, and, and also I should say this. I don't think I've ever said this. He also gave me 30 percent carry. So he didn't give me the, the standard 20% or 25. He gave me 30% carry because he said he wanted to make sure he wanted to help me become wealthy so that I could, I wouldn't have to worry about other LPs. Wow. You know, I argue with Mark all the time. You've seen him on Shark Tank. You can argue with the guy, but that's stand up in my opinion. That's stand up. Nice. Um, okay. Uh, this, this question's from uh, Sarah. Um, are there spaces for black founders who are not in the tech space? Oh yeah, there definitely are. 
Um, there definitely are. And I, uh, I mentioned before that I have like an online course. So a lot of the founders in the course, you can find everything at itsaboutdamntime.com. Uh, but a lot of people in the course don't have like full on tech companies. They have either brick and mortar or uh, one off kind of things or it's tech enabled, but it's, own, you know, it's built on top of something else. And I love that stuff. I love I love angel investing and I love the crowd. I love crowdfunding, things like that. And that's where it's going to be bolstered, I think, the most. Um, OK, this is from Crystal. How do you make time to write, lead backstage capital, speak on panels, care for yourself, and be present for your wife? Oh, well, I haven't seen my wife in days. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Megan was like, I'm not touching that one. No, I, I we see each other. We have hug breaks. We are, it's, it's well documented. We have hug breaks because we make sure. Um, well, I have um, an executive assistant named Jamie who... Uh, I've known for, I guess, probably 15 years now, maybe at least 12, but I've just known her for so long and she's just awesome. And I don't know how she does what she does, but she helps me with my schedule and like everything else. And then I have like a team at Backstage, so Chacho, Christy, and Brittany right now and others. And there's just a lot that they're able to do with Backstage stuff and, and with my other company, um, Chacho in particular. And then... I'm just like really um, like my, I, I, I do have a separate home office and so I'll go in, you know, and my wife will be like, what time is it? And I'll say, it's like, it's 10 AM. And she's like, I just woke up. What have you done? I, like I did this, this and that. She's like, how did you, I won't even do that today. I won't even do that today. I won't even do it. Um, I just have this energy that I'm not like an energetic person. I'm not like it's morning time, but I have an energy within me that is fueled by founders and fueled by people who are doing amazing things. And I just love it. And I love being a founder myself. I love being a founder. All right. This is from Raquel. Um, what do you think is tech's role in the housing crisis in the Bay Area? Granted, I realize you're in LA, but. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, I know enough to speak on it. I know there's a problem. I know there's a problem in LA too. Um, I think. So I don't know enough to speak on it, but I do know that it seems like tech came in, bullied a lot of people, displaced a lot of people, made things incredibly expensive, and then um, cleaned it all up for the Super Bowl that one time. <laughs> I forgot about that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sucked, by the way. That was really terrible. I watched it happen while it was happening, this cleanup. And just people just had to like carry their stuff and just walk somewhere. It was just terrible. Anyway, so I just think um, their role should be to to fix their own mess. And I don't know if they can right now with Corona because um, people are leaving in droves. But hey, people are going to leave, leave. And, and I mean, go out and get, I, I really I, I interviewed Kalise recently and she has a farm. Oh. She, she left her mansion or whatever in L.A. And Kalise, Kalise, milkshake, Kalise, Kalise, milkshake, bossy. Wow. She has a farm and she she hit me with this uh and I think she got it from a the 1619 podcast but I'm not sure but she hit me with this like the Jeffersons moving on up they traded a home for an apartment and we were supposed to applaud that. Right? And I was like she blew my mind. I fell out in my chair. It was live. And I thought and she said I have a farm because I'm going to leave that for my children, my children's children. And I got on the phone with my mom and my brother and we said we're getting a farm. 
were on it. So uh, people are going to be leaving, going back to uh, more places and, and, and kind of bringing the, bringing the wealth back to, to where they kind of started. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, this is from, from Crystal. The work you do is not only important, but very difficult work. Do you feel a lot of pressure on your shoulders? Oh, thank Chris. Thank you, Crystal, for asking that. I, so here's, here's the thing. There is a lot of pressure and not just from people that I'm trying to disrupt, but from people, from black people all the time will reach out or do back channels or write anonymous pieces and say that I ain't nothing and this, that, and the other. So there is the pressure. Do I feel it? No. I let go of it a couple of years ago. And I said, only focus on, like, do no harm. That's, that's like number one mantra of mine. Do no harm. But only focus on the, imp- the positive impact that you have. So someone can say all they want or they can expect all they want. But it's really, they, they move the goalposts so often. They just move it every single time you get close to it. I don't even look at it anymore. It's, I don't take them seriously anymore. I don't take people who are like, I'll invest in you if, and then I get there. And then they're like, ah, I changed my mind. I don't, I don't take them seriously. They're, they're clowns to me. So that pressure doesn't come for, I, I think I said like, uh, they can send it to me, but I won't sign for it. But uh, I, I, every once in a while, I will have uh, stress that is overwhelming when it comes to like, just being a founder and making sure that my team has like health insurance and salaries and stuff like that. And so that, that's when I'll reach the breaking point I talk about in the book, but the pressure from the outside forces from people who have never even attempted what I have done. Nah, (laughs) nah. All right. Uh, last, last audience question. This is from Jeremy. How do you learn to trust and delegate appropriately when you're so used to being underestimated and working harder for less? It has to, I don't know the age or, or the experience, but it has to start coming from like inside eventually. And it has this like, it comes from this place. I started thinking about what judgment is and instinct are and how tightly, tightly connected they are. And um, what I realized is that in order to have better judgment and in order to ha- to be able to trust your instincts once you have, like by having better judgment, you have to be wrong sometimes. Like you have to, you ha- it's like learning to skateboard. You got to fall sometimes for it to, to, to hit it. And so um, it's like, you're never going to, it's never going to be perfect, but you have to be willing to sort of take a stance and kind of stand in that and, and try. And then it, it fail and then you get better at trusting yourself and you get better at trusting other people and knowing and that instinct and that judgment are both uh, uh, strengthened. And then you start saying, like I just talked about on the other question, it's like, wait, why do I care what that other person thinks who I've never met or doesn't pay my bills or didn't give birth to me? What are we talking about? Like, <laughs> and then it starts to come become really clear. And I, it took me till I was like 37 to figure that out. So that's why I said, I don't know the age or anything, but um, it just comes from that. Like you have to kind of test it, test your judgment and test your instincts and be willing to be wrong and be burned by that. And then say, okay, I'm going to go out again. I'm going to try again. Um, and I think that's how 
So it's an informed tradition to ask speakers, um, what is your 60 second idea to change the world? Do you forget about this? <laughs> I did, and I don't even have an answer. Um, to change the world, I talked. I tweeted that I was gonna. I was gonna be part of that. I don't. So it's gonna be corny, but you know, that's what you get with that. <laughs> you know, that's what you're gonna get with virtual and uh, 13 weeks of quarantine that I'm on right now. Okay, haven't left the house. I I often talk about being authentically yourself. You know, it's even uh, it's even uh, emblazoned across my wall. It's something that I it's going to be on T-shirts eventually. You know, be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you. That's what I say. And what I found over and over and over and over again is that any question someone asks me, like we could take the questions that were in that Q&A. And every question can most likely be answered by remaining remaining true to yourself. Right. So if we, whoever's watching this now or in the future or listening to this, if we can kind of all agree that that's going to be part of our goal is to remain true to ourselves through all of this, through everything. I think that if we truly do that, that's when things uh, start to change big time because we're not, we're not all, most people go into this one section and they follow this, the masses, they just follow it. And then there are a few outliers and the only people I know who have made big change and impactful and impressive change have been the outliers and they weren't richer than most, you know, they didn't have to be rich. Look at me. I'm not rich. Never was. They may not even be smarter, although I'm very vain and I think I am smart, (laughs) but they, but it was something about, it was something about always, always you call me weird, call me crazy, keep going, okay, and never just falling in line over here and just getting in line with everything. And I think if we can all agree to that, that's when things really start to uh, to change. You you sort of you're tilling the soil, you're tilling the soil of something new. Well, thank you so much, Arlen, for for joining me here tonight. Uh, and thank you for being yourself. Um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, if if members of the audience want to watch more virtual programs, uh, you can head over to commonwealthclub.org uh, slash give. And I'm Megan Rose Dickey. And thank you, everyone. Thank you again, Arlen. And I hope everyone stays safe and happy. Yeah.